This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I am here with the head of hoops, Aaron Beach. We got to be talking some hoops this time of year, especially now that it it feels like now you know of course no one really knows for sure until it actually happens, but it does feel like some strides have been made with Washington basketball in the last week or so. Um, you know they've they've gone from a team that not a lot of people wanted to watch you know, a couple of weeks ago. You know didn't feel like they were going to find a win. Um, you know, the, the Cal game was, was something where it looked like it was close. They just couldn't close the deal. And then this last week, you know, going down to USC and have a humbling defeat, but then getting together, having a team meeting, coming back and, and almost beating the top team in the league in UCLA and then having the breakthrough on Wednesday against Colorado and Seattle 84 80. Um, I just wanted to get the thoughts of, of Aaron because not only is he, he our head of hoops, but he's also kind of our everyman. When it comes to basketball, I feel like he's a good barometer, uh, in terms of how things are going. And, and Beach, it doesn't sound like, uh, you were stomaching much of the, of the early basketball offerings, um, from, from the men this year. And, uh, and, and hopefully that's turned a little bit. Well, it has to an extent. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but, uh, I found it difficult to watch the games in real time. So I was, uh, I gotten into a pattern of starting the game a half hour late just so I could fast forward. Um, just because it's so tough to tough to to stomach. Um, that said, what we've seen over the last you know week and a half or so, things are encouraging, right? Over the last four or five games, um, you know things are ticking up, and not that it's going to be you know I, I don't think they're you know headed for any big revelations and breakthroughs this season, but at the same time, it's watchable again. They're they're playing good basketball. Um, I've been impressed with the way that they're moving the ball, they're spacing, things are more efficient. Um, you know, obviously we could talk about the shooting because it's been a dramatic improvement and that's something we're touching on. Um, but I think one of the other things that, you know, I'm seeing, I mean, look at the turnovers. Um, you know, they have a, I think they're roughly 13 turnovers, 10 assists. I mean, their assist to turnover ratio is awful. But the last couple of the games, they've had, you know, around 10 turnovers. And that, that by itself is kind of an indication that they've, that the chemistry has improved quite a bit. Um, they're sharing the balls. These guys are in sync a bit more. Um, and, you know, a lot of that probably has to do with just lack of basketball, you know, during the preseason and then finally getting their feet under them. Cause this was a team that was integrating a lot of new pieces. So, um, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm optimistic, but I, I don't, you know, we're not talking about Tyrone Willingham types of ineptitude any longer. And I think for a lot of people, that's a, you know, that's a good feeling. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, December 20th is when they played Colorado down in Vegas, 
you know, it was 92 to 69. And so, you know, when you're losing, you know, by 23 points and it was, and I think they were even down, you know, in the twenties early on in the game. It was, it's just a game that got away from them so fast. And to be able to have that much of a turnaround in a month, um, you know, literally December 20th to January 20th is what it was. And now you come back with a win. You go from, you know, in that game, I mean, that game in Vegas was crazy because they, they just, they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Um, you know, they went 43% from the field. Um, you know, 22% from three, four of 18. Um, they got just pummeled on the boards, 43 to 28. Um, everything was, you know, and the one thing about it is I think when you're playing against the Colorado team, maybe it looks like you can be somewhat efficient because they had only had nine turnovers that game. They had 10 turnovers this last Wednesday. Um, so I don't know what it is about Colorado. Maybe it's just, you know, two teams that weren't necessarily trying to force a lot of things defensively. But um, to come back and to avenge a 23-point loss and come back and win by four at home, um, pretty crazy turnaround in four weeks, especially considering, Beach, like you said, after that game, it certainly didn't feel like they were like there was any hope at all because you just got to remember two week two games before that they had beaten or three games before that they had beaten Seattle University by 32 points and then almost beat Oregon so it felt like that was the time when the trend was was heading up and then all of a sudden they lose to Montana and then get blown out in Vegas so yeah to have that kind of turnaround in four weeks especially considering the trend that they were heading in seems pretty significant to me yeah um you know, I, I got to believe that there were there have been some serious um, chemistry issues on the team. That's, I mean, usually when you have those kind of you know challenges, you, when you're playing that badly, that's a pretty big culprit. And um, I think that to me, the way they're playing on the floor, um, they've ironed out a lot of that. Uh, you also see that um, you know that Hop's gone to uh, he, he's always coveted the eight man rotation as every coach does. And it seems like they're finally kind of rounding that out. Uh, you got Bajama who's playing kind of playing that, uh, that eighth man role. And uh, to me, he's about the only guy that's a little bit suspect there. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, this is, this is a, this is the price you pay when you, um, you know, when you just don't have the guys, when you're, when you're lacking, you know, that legit star power. Uh, you know, pretty much across the board. Um, so you've got to do it. You've got to win by playing team basketball. And they finally seem to be rounding that out. This isn't the best defensive team. Uh, this isn't like previous, you know, hop defensive squads. Uh, they're okay, but they're small. I mean, really small. That front or that backwards, you know, relative. When you were sitting there watching that USC game, I don't know what you thought, but my first thought was, man, that roster would look really good in hop zone and uh, you know so that to me when you look at it it's, it it's the whole team's kind of mismatched for what they're trying to achieve and that's why we're seeing a lot of the problems we do but at the same time um you know they, they're they're finally looking like they're in mid-season form and uh, you got the ball starting to fall for your shooters and that's that's probably the single biggest reason that uh we we've, we've seen this sudden improvement yeah, I, I mean, it seems to me, again, like you, you talked about, 
you know, chemistry issues, whatnot. I think there's certainly a big part to that. Confidence seems to me to be the big thing. Confidence triggers these guys getting, um, you know, confidence begets confidence. And then once you start seeing the ball go through the hoop, um, especially when you look at a guy like Eric Stevenson, for instance, he went from a guy again, didn't feel like he could make a shot ever. And then all of a sudden he saw a couple go in and now it was like, you know, hot hand, you know, he couldn't miss. So um let's talk a little bit about the offense first and then we'll take a quick break and then go to the defense. Um But yeah, it, it is amazing how just in the span of a few games, depending on seeing the ball go through the hoop that you can have such a turnaround or recent turnaround success because you, you go to a situation where you've got, you know, they're shooting, 31% against Arizona, 36% against Stanford from the field. And then all of a sudden in, in the game against California where they're super, super competitive goes down to the wire. They shoot 50% or 52% from the field. Again, USC 38%, UCLA 52%. And then in the final in the win against uh, Colorado, they end up shooting totally about 49%, but 48% from three. And you're, you know, when you're taking 25 threes a game, that's significant. And I'm, I'm just wondering from you, how much of this can be attributed to the fact that they just started to see the ball go through the hoop and all of a sudden it felt like that was the switch that needed to be turned on for them to all of a sudden realize, you know what? If we can, if we can just simply make a few baskets, now all of a sudden we've got the rest of the pieces that we can, that, that we need to be able to go out and be competitive. Um, it's funny how that works, Chris. <laughs> when the, when the three it fall, yeah, you can compete. And, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, the question is whether or not it's sustainable. And I don't know that it is, uh, because as we know, with quad A's hot start, for instance, teams very quickly adapted to it and, uh, keyed on him. And now we've got Sahonis more or less doing, having that same kind of run. Um, you know, he's been as big a difference maker over the last couple games as anyone, obviously. And, um, you know, but teams are going to counter that, right? And so the question is now, okay, you've kind of got Sahonis untracked, Quade's playing fine. You know, Stevenson, uh, has really improved. The thing is, how much of that for him can he consistently do, right? Is that a, he's kind of, he's, uh, he's a little bit willy nilly with the shot selection. And uh, those are shots that sometimes fall and sometimes don't, you know, when you got a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who's just got a knack for putting the ball in the bucket, that's something he can do night in and night out. But I don't think you can rely on Stevenson's dribble penetration uh, and creativity to carry them and sustain them to consistent wins. I don't think he's that guy. Um, so, I do like the, you know, the fact that the shots are falling now is uh, just such a big boon. They don't have a guy underneath the basket who is a consistent scoring threat. So really what it's doing is just opening driving lanes, right? Because um, you do have a couple of good slashers. Sahonis has been the biggest beneficiary. But, you know, Bajima has that same capability. And we've started to see, you know, we haven't talked about uh, Bay yet. And I've been very critical of him. But he's starting to put it together now on top of the fact that he's knocking down threes. He's shooting, I think, over 40% over the last, you know, couple, uh, four or five games. So all those things have to come together for them to consistently compete. Um, because even if any of those 
factors are off, they're going to continue to really struggle. Yeah, again, obviously, it feels ten- feels tenuous, right? It feels like yeah, all it ta- all it takes is one of these things to fall apart, and the whole house of cards comes tumbling down, right? Yeah, but because you can't you- depend on them defensively, Chris, and that's the thing. In, in years past, with Hawks teams, they've been so rock solid defensively that that can overcome a lot of their deficiencies. Because uh, let's let's be real, I mean, Washington hasn't shot the ball well from beyond the arc in many many years. So, um, you know, but they, in the past they've been able to rely on that that defense. Well, they can't do that this year. They don't have the guys. They don't have the size. So um, everything's got to work for them to be competitive and win ball games. But you know what? They've got three games that are very winnable over the next, well, we say winnable. But, look, the fact that we're even talking about the fact that they might win, you know, one, two, or even three games over this next stretch yeah. is a, you know, that's a step, right? There's no no question, and and that's the thing too. You, the you got to know the vibe in that locker room after the the Colorado game must have been off the charts in terms of now they probably feel like they can beat anybody. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it, let's go back to to kind of the beginning. You started talking a little bit about um, uh, Quad A Green and kind of he is the kind of the straw that stirs the drink when it comes to Washington and. Once teams were able to key on him and, and Washington really didn't have any other scoring options, then the, the, the game plan for the opposition was really easy. Stop quad A, stop Washington. Well, now they can't really do that. And I want to go back to the rotation question for you because you did talk about the, the, he feels, Hop feels like he's kind of settled on his eight. And, and you're right. It looks like Bajama could be the eighth guy now. Jerome Brooks we'll could be the fire. eighth guy. I could see Nate Pryor also factoring there. That's the only, you know, actually, to be honest with you, uh, I don't think they need Jerron, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Brooks, but, uh, and I loved him in high school, but for what this team needs right now, they need scoring punch from the outside. So I think that's why you lean more towards Bajma than, uh, than Brooks. Uh, that said, you know, I, I think Badge was very much competing against Pryor. That's, uh, you know, if Pryor wasn't seemingly in the doghouse, I think we would have been seeing him in place of Ajima, if I had my guess. Yeah, it, but it just feels like at least the, the first seven are locked in now, especially now with Riley Sorn playing the way he's playing, given the minutes for Roberts and Wright that he can give them. Um, he has been a you know nothing short of a revelation, especially on offense. Um, I don't think 11 games in or 12 games in, we would have been talking about him averaging almost five, six points a game. Um, that's pretty crazy. Um, but you know, going back to, you know, if they eliminate quad a, it's, it's, it's an easy win for the opposition. Well, now you're seeing, you talked about, you know, Marcus Sahonis, for instance, <clears throat> Marcus Sahonis has gone from, you know, he, he's the biggest enigma on this team right now. Cause he went, he basically until the Colorado game back in December in Vegas, his, he hadn't scored more than four points a game. Now all of a sudden he goes to 14 points in 12 minutes. And then the very, very next game, done play. And then the game after that at Stanford, he leads the team with 24. He gets two minutes in 12, uh, or two points in 12 minutes against Cal. And then against USC, done play. Gets nine points against UCLA. And then all of a sudden goes ballistic for 27, career high against Colorado. Um, I think you kind of pointed that it's, you know, you can't, you can't count on it. 
Don't know if it's sustainable, but there is no question there is a scoring streak in Marcus Sahonis that Mike Hopkins can't ignore at this point. Well, you touched on it, and to me it's confidence. He's never lacked confidence. That's the one thing I see out of him pretty consistently is he more or less tries to replicate his formula night in and night out. Sometimes the shots don't fall, but regardless, I don't see a lot that's different in how he comports himself on the floor. Um, so not, and again, I don't, 20 some points a game is ridiculous. I don't think that's realistic. Um, we may not see that again this season, but you know, if you can get, you know, 12 to 15 points out of him a game and he steps up in that kind of number two scoring role behind quad a, you're at least you've got a tandem that, uh, you know, can put points on the board on a consistent basis. But I guess it just really remains to be seen if, if it's sustainable. Well, I think what, what is, what is also helping, and I think this might be as big a key as any, and you mentioned them before, getting contrib- getting consistent contributions from Jamal Bay and Eric Stevenson have been, I think to me, like the last five games have been critical in mm-hmm. terms of getting this team confidence offensively going, seeing the ball go in the hoop. Cause really Jamal Bay has been by far their most consistent three point scorer. I mean, he is the one that if you needed to have a three-point shot go in right now, he would statistically be your best bet to go in. Um, you know, last five games, he scored 15, 18, 11, 6, and 14. Um, you know, before that, he hadn't scored more than nine points the first eight, nine games. Um, you know, you go to Eric Stevenson, he's been even more of a revelation because before the Cal game where he scored 27, he hadn't scored more than eight, and that was against Baylor. Very, very first game out of the gate, he scores eight, and you're thinking, okay, you know, he didn't have the best game shooting, but you can tell he can score. He's an offensive threat. And then the next five games, he goes six, seven, three, four, and four. It's like, okay, where, where's he coming? Then all of a sudden, this last four games, he goes 27, 16, 11, and 17. I mean, if you're going to get that kind of scoring from him to add on to Bay, to add on to if Sahonis can harness what he's doing on a regular basis, and then you know Quad A can score, now all of a sudden you've made it really tough on the opponent to figure out where the where the bulk of the scoring is going to come from from every night. Now Quad A Green could be your high scorer in a game because teams now can't key on him. And to me, that's really opened everything up offensively because now the guys around him are finding ways to score. They're seeing the ball go through the hoop, and that has begat the confidence that they've obviously needed to become scoring threats. Well, they were getting you know the thing, and you're totally right, um, but they were getting a lot of good shots prior to this improvement, right? They just didn't knock them down, and I think – that allows it's so easy for teams to you know shut down one specific player um, when the rest of the team's not delivering you know on the opportunities they've been given. So um, that's a that's a huge part of this, and it's why you know Quad A. I, I think he's kind of come down to earth, right? I mean, we were starting out. We looked at the start of the season like this guy was a you know first team All Pac-12 guy, and I still think he's an All Conference caliber player. But the reality is. Um, He's not, he can't just, he, he's not the guy when it comes to, uh, he's not going to carry you, right? He's going to be consistent, reliable, and make good decisions and kind of set things up. 
but you know, he was, he, that's why he's so critical to the team last year, right? When they lost him, Washington fell off a cliff, um, because he's the rudder, um, and you got to have a rudder. Otherwise you're, you know, adrift. And, um, you know, I, I, I like what I'm seeing out of quad a, but he's at a ceiling. I think he's getting, we're getting out. Washington's getting what, what they can out of him. The, the, the trick is really to be, you know, they, you, you've got all these secondary guys who have to step up and continue doing what they're doing for them to, you know, sustain this success. They, uh, Washington's really matchup dependent. This team, because they're so small and they don't have a ton of athleticism and, you know, unlike years, you know, the last two decades, um, you know, they, uh, <laughs> they're going to struggle against teams like Arizona and USC teams that just can overwhelm them. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that throughout the rest of the season. They're going to be competitive though, in games where they don't have these huge matchup disadvantages. Yeah, obviously it was, you know, when you saw Quade play against Oregon, you know, 26 points, 10 to 17 from the field, he, you could tell, and, and you were talking about going earlier in the season, he still had the capability of taking over games. You know, but we've even seen it at UCLA. He kept them in the game, 25 points, 10 to 16 from the field. Um, you know, he had even had five rebounds. You know, he was doing everything he could to keep the, keep them in the game at that. But the problem was he just didn't feel like the rest of the team was coming along with him for the ride. They, they got there most of the way, but they just couldn't get over the hump. And I think it was this, this game against Colorado where yes, he only scores 11 points, but it was clear that these complimentary pieces like Sahonis, Stevenson, at least until he fouled out Jamal Bay, um, you know, even if Amir Wright had some really good moments in that Amir game. Amir Wright's been playing really well. Yeah. He's, he's starting to find himself again, which is really, really important. But, you know, the, the whole idea is now it feels like the rest of the team is following Quad A and they're, and they're, they're there with him on the ride. You know, they're not trailing him. They're not catching up. It all feels like it's coming together on that side. Um, but I really wanted to ask you before we move to the defensive side, really wanted to ask you about uh, your take on Riley Sorn and um, what you think he's capable of moving forward. Because, you know, he has had moments and it has been cr- kind of crazy where, again, you know, 16 points in that first meeting with Colorado. Um, he only had four on Wednesday, but, you know, he had 10 at UCLA. Um he, he, he is never going to be a massive defensive presence. He's going to alter things in a way. But for a guy who's 7'4", you'd expect him to be a lot more imposing than he is. Um, but I'm, I'm so impressed with what he's done offensively and just what he's been able to do uh, in terms of what he can give this team. And, and I'm wondering what you think his ceiling is right now. Uh, Chris, I think he's a future pro. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be an NBA guy, but he does have a professional future. Uh, you see his instinct. He's got good instincts. He, he's got good instincts and great hands. Um, and those two things alone on top of being seven foot four with a nine, nine reach. Um, you know, there's a handful of guys on earth that have those kind of dimensions and capabilities. So, uh, I think he's got big time upside. Uh, he's the only player on Washington's roster. That's a counter to anything that can completely change the dynamic of a game in certain situations. Right. I mean, if the game's up and down, he's next to useless. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, Hopkins figured that has figured that out, you know, teams against, you know, teams like USC, Arizona, I don't remember what he did against at any rate. Um, you know, he, he had two, he had two points of, against Arizona. Okay. And there you go. So, you know, teams that are really athletic and have big athletic bigs that can run the floor, he's lost, but in teams that are a slower tempo, um, he can keep up. And regardless of the fact that he's not the greatest defender in the world, that length just is an instant counter. You're not going to dribble drive, you know, when you got a guy like that underneath the basket who's a threat to block you at any given time. Um, offensively, like you're talking about, uh, Washington's a terrible rebounding team, right? And part of that zone, part of that's personnel. Um, but the one thing that Riley does really well is, you know, he's such he's got such a quick putback, uh, and he keeps the ball when he rebounds the ball, it's high above his head. He doesn't bring it below his nose, and he's great with that secondary leap, you know, flushing the ball. And that's um, Washington needs that so bad because they're such an awful rebounding team. Well, yeah, there's no question that they've they've had to improve by leaps and bounds in the, in that area, and I think that they have certainly made some attempts to do that. And I think schematically they've done some things um, in terms of some of the switching man that they've done instead of just the zone. Um, and putting guys in a little bit more position, having guys crash. The guards, I think, have had to stay back a little bit more. You know, maybe not emphasize much in terms of transition and and getting out on the on the break as much. But we'll certainly touch on the the defensive side of the ball here in just a second. Uh, I want to take a quick break for uh, to pay some bills. This is uh, Chris Fetters with Aaron Beach uh, from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, guys. This is Chris Fetters back with Aaron Beach, our head of hoops on Dogman Radio. And we had just done a little segment there on the offense for Washington. And now we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball. And that certainly has been the real question mark of this season. And, and you touched on some of the things, I think, a little bit earlier, Aaron, in terms of what has caused the struggles defensively for Washington in terms of personnel issues, um, you know, size. You know, they, they don't have that Matisse Thibel type guy out top that can really alter things in terms of getting deflection, steals, blocks, that kind of thing. But, but ultimately, are you seeing some things, whether it's ter- in terms of guys getting more comfortable in it, um, guys getting more in touch with it, guys that, that hadn't never played it before, like an Eric Stevenson, for instance? Um, you know, how much of it do you also see just, the energy kind of helping to make uh, uh, up for a little bit of it in terms of a lack of, of understanding it yet uh, and kind of growing with it. What, what are you seeing out of the zone right now? Well, I definitely see from the new guys, um, the timing is improving, right? Cause you're playing passing lanes less so than you're, you know, defending individual players. And so you're seeing guys gamble a little bit more and take advantage of that. Um, particularly on the perimeter. The thing is, you know, that, that what, what really 
propelled Washington, you know, the previous three seasons, which you had that length, uh, you know, in the, in the backcourt, which would put so much pressure on your ball handlers and your perimeter opponent, um, that you could really stretch them, right? I mean, we were, we were seeing Washington pushing, you know, the opposing ball handlers out, you know, 10 feet and they're picking up the, you know, they're picking up those, the ball handlers. So they can't do that now. They don't have the length. And so what that does is when you got, you know, Stevenson and Quad A out there, you know, quite a bit, you know, quite far away from the basket, um, it leaves so much room for, you know, opposing teams to generate offense. And so they can't, they don't have any elite defenders. Um, I, I can't really point to, I, I guess, probably Quad A is as good as you get, but they don't have an elite guy. Hamir is a very, they have a lot of serviceable players, um, you know, Bay, Hamir Wright. Nate Roberts, those guys are serviceable. Um, but, yeah, I'd say they're getting more comfortable, but I'm not seeing any, like, there hasn't been any revelations, right? I I, I don't see, like, massive growth in that department. I, I see serviceable. I see I see it enough so that they can, it will, you know, keep them in games, but it's not going to win games for them. Yeah, and that's what you could say of the Mike Hopkins zone up until this year. Is that there, there were certain situations, certain, certain times, uh, against teams in the last few years where you knew you, you could get stops with that defense and it just doesn't feel like that's the case, um, right now. <clears throat> One thing I will say is you, you brought up earlier in the, in the show, but, um, you know, you look at USC's length with the Mobley twins, for instance, or not twins, but brothers, um, and, you know, wondering what they would be like patrolling that zone. Yeah, I mean that that's that's your aim, right? You got to get guys like that and obviously you're talking about two future NFL or <laughs> NFL NBA guys that uh that are going to be that are going to be stars. And um you know, they're incredibly talented. Um they're great on both sides, both ends of the court. And um you know, those are the guys that you want to get in your on your team because you know, especially in a zone type thing where you can use that 7-foot wingspan or whatever they've got um to great effectiveness in terms of getting deflections and steals, blocks, what have you. And they just don't have that. And you're you're talking about the front court for sure, uh, or the back court in terms of, you know, not having that viable type. I really thought Jamal Bay was going to be that guy that could step He's up not. and use and use his size a little bit more than he has. But you're right, they've also had to rely on a backcourt more of a of a Quade Green or a Nate Pryor or a Marcus Sahonis. Um you know, Raekwon battle at times where you're just not getting that kind of length and that kind of, cause you know, there's energy there, there's movement, but it's, it does, it's not really achieving much in terms of affecting how offenses play out. Um, I go back to the, to the, to the Kansas game a few years back where they beat them and they were more than happy to kind of give up those twos. And you really even saw that against Colorado on Wednesday. They really wanted to force things more inside. And you know that Washington fans were getting really frustrated with the, how things were getting sliced and diced inside. But that also affected their three-point shooting to the point where they were one of what, 18, one of 16? I can't remember what it was, but it was something but, really, really bad, one of 18. But so that's a good point, Chris, though. Like, what are the odds that happens again? What are the odds that another team this season only knocks down one three pointer? 
against Washington. I mean, that's the problem is that's about the you have to have something like that that is, you know, just outside the realm of, you know, highly unlikely. Right. For Washington to pick up a win. And that's that's where I kind of struggle with the whole thing. If you think about, you know, you talk about the rebounding issues, you know, your guards have to attack, you know, have to attack the basket and get boards. But how can they do that when they're having to, you know, they have to be so far out for in terms of pressure to uh, to limit three point opportunities from opponents that I mean, that to me, that's just like, I don't know how you reconcile that and make Washington's guards be a factor, you know, rebounding. It's the, the whole thing comes back to and this is where I really struggle is this roster is completely at odds with what Hop's trying to do. And um, it, it's almost like he's not recruiting for his system. He's recruiting to fill holes. And that's what this roster looks like this season. And the question is, what's the answer next season, right? Or is this more just like filling holes? Or are they finding guys? Can they find guys between, you know, through Mar- from March to May that actually complement what he's trying his defensive scheme rather than, you know, Hey, we need some guys who can play minutes. Right. Cause that's really how it looks right now. And I, I, I struggle with that. He inherited a fairly, a fairly decent fit um, from Romar in terms of personnel, just because the, you know, Romar prized long athletes um, who were very versatile. And that's something that's um, very important when you're recruiting to the zone. So I, I'm, kind of at a loss is to explain how he's um you know how he's building his roster in terms of what he's trying to accomplish there's no doubt there's gonna have to be a long look in terms of what they're you know are they are they going to recruit to scheme or is he just recruiting long athletes or or athletes that he feels like he can fit um and right now it does feel like round pegs and square holes um, for a large part, but I'm wondering how, ma- how much of that will also improve from year one to year two for a guy like Eric Stevenson, for a guy like Cole Bajima, for instance, who they're clearly going to rely on a lot more next year. Um, they're bringing in Jackson Grant from Olympia, who's, but he, he is more of what you would have expected Hop to recruit, a longer, rangier guy, um, probably is a little bit more of an outside in guy, not a, not a true five or anything like that, probably more of a, four kind of a, a one that you would play out on the side in the zone for sure. Um, but I, I am very curious to see how that improvement from year one to year two is going to go with the guys that they're going to rely on next year, even for the guys up top, like Sahonis and, and Raekwon battle for sure. You know, if he, if he sticks around, you know, you've got to, you've got to have these guys that can, that can step up and, and figure out how to work that zone. What, one thing is there, there's definitely been a lot more tweaks in this zone schematically to try to make up for some of the physical or talent differences in that zone. And I'm kind of wondering what your take on some of that stuff is because they, we've even so, seen like a switching man from time to time. Um, we've certainly seen more of the pinching in that, uh, high post area where he'll actually have someone on the backside of that zone trail from, from opposite the ball side. So they'll defend someone who's coming through the high post directly instead of allowing that uh, that high post area to be the soft spot in the zone and giving up that too they they've seen a, they've seemed to be a little bit more at times intent on defending it man to man 
instead of allowing the the opponent to have maybe some two on one opportunities in the key. And I'm I'm kind of wondering what you're seeing from some of the the little scheme tweaks that uh, that Hops tried to employ this year. Well, that's honestly I, I was trying to figure out. He Hop mentioned that he was he'd added a couple wrinkles, and so I was looking for him and. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I was really struggling with it. It was frustrating. I don't know if you have any insight into what he did differently over the last couple of these, these little tweaks he made. Um, but I was kind of struggling with it. I, I know they were really, as you said, they were, they were really trying to force, um, particularly Colorado to, um, feed the ball inside. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to give up that eight to 10 foot jumper all day because it's, it's statistically speaking. Um, as ugly a shot as there is in the college game today. And so you could see there was a deliberate um, focus on that, um, that we're going to let you have that. And I think that works pretty effectively. But I I, I couldn't point to – I tried, and I, I just – I guess I'm not a student of the zone enough to know, to be able to identify where he, he tweaked things. Um, if he, I don't know. Do you have insight in that? Well, I would say that the, the Colorado game is certainly um, an example of where I think – Hop would go with this particular lineup in terms of how he would want the game to be affected defensively. And of course they don't want to give up 80 points a game. But what I would say is you, you go back to the point of, uh, they were one of 18. When is that going to happen again? I, I know you mentioned that. Well, it wasn't like Colorado was shooting poorly the whole game from anywhere. They still shot 46% from the field. And a lot of that is because they were, hammering it home inside they were really trying to take advantage of that when it was clear the outside shot just wasn't falling but i think that that goes to the part of for the most part i'd I'd say out of the 19 or the 18 threes that were taken and we got to remember two of those were within the last eight seconds of the game um i would say of those 18 shots maybe three of them were really wide open um, which is a vast improvement over what we can say in earlier games. They were there was either a hand up or they were closing fast, uh, or they were on them from the start. And so I would say you know 15 out of 18 that were reasonably contested or flat out contested is a, is a big improvement for starters. And I think that's well, and that, that's, you, that's energy, right? That's effort. That's those are all hallmarks of great defensive teams is, um, you know, being in your defender's face, not leaving your feet. We have a tendency to – Washington's got a tendency to leave its feet, especially on that corner three, yeah. um, and we've seen less and less of that. So I, I think there's definitely been some education and growth in that department, and I will definitely say that, you know, for the first, I don't know, first two months, I didn't see much improvement at all and the things that they were doing. And I feel like we finally saw some growth um, from, from really the, the entire team in terms of let's be, let's have consistent energy. Um, let's keep our hand in our defender's face and let's not leave our feet. Um, and uh, that was a pretty big improvement. And the first time I think the season where you could say, Hey, these guys have gotten better. Yeah. I was going to say too, that I kind of noticed a little bit more improvement in terms of the rebounding, like on the backside, um, you know, Eric Stevenson only played, uh, 30, well, he played 31 minutes, but he would have played more, uh, but he fouled out with about four and a half minutes left, but he had seven rebounds. 
Um, you know, he was doing a great job of competing inside, which is something we hadn't really seen a ton of. And I think that goes more to, he was sitting outside at the beginning. Sometimes if guys were shooting outside, he might be looking more for long rebounds. But now with the, with Colorado pumping it inside, he had to be more of a factor in the paint. And I thought he did a very, very nice job of competing for the ball, if not actually outright rebounding the ball. Um, he was one guy that I thought was a good, was a big factor in that game. But I think ultimately Beach, for me, it just feels like because of maybe the, the, the lack of length or the, the lack of real experience in the zone for some of the guys that are having to play big minutes. Um, it feels like in the past, Hopkins would always want the defense to be the thing that they can hang their hat on. But more than that, it was what turned the offense going in. The, the defense catalyzed the offense. Now it feels like it's been turned on its head. It feels like now the offense has catalyzed the defense in a, in a sense that it has allowed them to now all of a sudden prime the pump, give them energy, give them activity give them the things that they were maybe lacking early in the season to compete on that end, even though they're not necessarily seeing a ton of success yet on that end, it's allowing them to compete to the point where they can take teams now down to the wire. And we know how many tight games there were last year, for instance, in the first half of the season that they were able to win close because they had had experience dealing with that, and they had the poise and the patience to take care of those situations. Clearly, this group of players just have not had that until the last few games. But it does feel like it's almost kind of the tail wagging the dog in terms of how Hopkins would want this team to run. And now he's trying to figure out, okay, if, if, if the offense now is what's going to have to catalyze the defense, I've got to I've got to tweak this thing a little bit to make it work. This formula. Are are you seeing some of the same things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got to rely on your strengths or what your perceived strengths are. And I think uh, there's some recognition there, obviously, that the zone isn't going to be what it is is normally or intended to be this season. But at the same time, I think Hopkins figured out, all right, well, what are our strengths? I, I theoretically, I've got a team that's got some shooters. Uh, how do we get these guys open more? Um, you know, and playing on the same page. And I think that's what we've seen. Um, but, you know, you're absolutely right on the, on the defensive front. I just, it, it's not uh, going to carry them. Uh, you know, Washington's going to have to do it offensively. They don't get the runouts and the fast breaks they had prior. Um, you know, they're not getting a lot of breakaway dunks or anything like that. So you're not seeing them speed up and down the floor that we have previously during Romar's tenure and the first three seasons of Hopkins, because that was a pretty big, aspect was the um you know just getting out and going you know the defense uh you know getting a deflection at the top of the key and an easy basket that washington doesn't get a lot of easy baskets um and that makes it tough when you're not you know when you're not getting that eight to ten points a game that's you know kind of just a you know a given you know that you've created yourself i i think it makes it a lot tougher to win games i think that's one of the biggest reasons they've struggled is because they're just they're not able to play the way they have in the past and found success. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, before I let you go, Beach, and I really appreciate your time today. Um, you did you did mention how there's there's winnable games on the horizon for Washington, especially how they're playing right now. Um, after this game against Utah tomorrow, uh, a week from Sunday, they play Washington State, host Washington State, 
and then they make their their Oregon road swing where they play at Oregon State on the 4th of February and then at Oregon two days later. Um, ultimately, with these three games, it almost feels like a defining moment because after that, they've got to host USC and UCLA again, two clearly difficult games. USC, again, a very tough matchup for them. And then they've got to host Stanford and Cal. So for, you get four straight home games, which is big, I think, for this team. I think they they enjoy shooting at heck ed for obvious reasons. And I think they do feel something about um, not allowing teams to come in and, and take their house. You know, this is important to them, despite the fact that the dog pack's not there. I, I'm just wondering if these next three games, how critical you think they really are um, in terms of not just defining this season, but how – Mike Hopkins can really start to, to turn things around long term and find some answers um, to how he's going to kind of keep this thing moving. Yeah, you're you're right, Chris. This is the most winnable stretch of the season left. I mean, this isn't a team that's going to be a factor in the postseason. So you've got to look for moments that you can build on, you know, moving forward into the future. And I was going to say too, so- real quick, Aaron. I, I forgot to note that the, the Arizona State game on January 2nd that was postponed, we don't know when that's going to be played yet. Arizona State seems to be now a game that, that that's certainly winnable. Um, they're, they're struggling a little bit too, so I think a lot of that depends on when they play them. But they've got that game as well to deal with. Right. Um, yeah. But anyway, back to it. I, I, this next three games is the season for me. You know, if you want to – if you want to be able to point to some positives, some areas of growth during the season, this is it. And um, these are the Pac-12 is pretty bad, right? Um, even the Oregon game's winnable. Um, and, and as we saw against UCLA, there this is not a, a conference of champions this season. Um, so there's a lot of winnable games technically, uh, you know, the rest of the way. But I think Washington has to be at their absolute best to win any of them. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't know if Oregon State's, it's not a gimme, but it's as close, you know, as, as Washington's going to get to a, an easier game. I, I, I just, uh, if they go two and one over the next three, I think that's a pretty big win. Um, you know, you'd like to get five, six wins this season. Um, you know, that, that last time we talked, I think we were talking about whether or not they were going to get, you know, any wins in conference play because they were playing that badly. So just, you know, from that perspective, things have been an improvement, but uh, you're, you're right. These next three games, I think they're winnable. They've got some momentum. Um, and these guys are playing for their futures. The assistant coaches are playing for their futures or coaching for their futures. So there's, there's a lot at stake here. Um, you know, that's going to have lot, you know, big consequences, you know, for the rest of, you know, the, the next year, right? There's, there's big ramifications, big impact, you know, as these guys see what their future is with the program, because there's no doubt there's going to be changes in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, there is. There's certainly been hints of that that's coming. Um, so you're right. And I and I think ultimately we're also seeing the evolution of, of Mike Hopkins as a head coach, because we got to remember he's still, what was it, fourth year? He's in the middle of his fourth year as a head coach anywhere. Um, and still very much in the learning process of trying to figure out what works for him, what, what works with his personality, with his character, and, um, and ultimately what he wants to do on both ends of the floor. So, um, constantly a process of growing 
and and trying to figure out this thing and and seeing how the plan B can come together when they don't have necessarily a plan A. But Beach, you've been phenomenal as always. Love talking to you, getting your insight on what's going on, and um and we'll certainly come down come together and 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 figure this thing out a few games more down the road to see uh, if they've been able to improve, if they've been able to to uh, get better on both ends and, uh, and and continue this thing and see if maybe they can turn a corner uh, a little bit this year. We don't, we don't, we're not expecting a, a, um, <laughs> a, a 180 per se, but uh, it would be nice to see if maybe they can uh, get at least uh, to the point where the, the future is dimly visible in the distance and you, and you can see some, some glimpses, some, some hope, out there, uh, you know, not just for the end of the season, but also going into the 21-22 season. So for Aaron Beach, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.